Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically, on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you, because Reed is definitely his own man, with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Hello, listeners from coast to coast, from the Gulf to Canada and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio, and thanks for tuning in. Well, you know, the drums beat ever faster. The noise gets ever louder. We have lots to cover. I'm going to give you the history of Sino-Russia relations. Russia and China, very important. I'm going to have kind of a heart-to-heart talk with you as the rest of the story on the interesting, very interesting, given what's going on, information I'm going to be bringing to you on that historical basis. And then we're going to talk about, which will tie right into the historical story, where China is headed and the corruption, the treason of the Biden administration when it comes to China and the United States and the rest of the planet. And we're going to talk about the massive buildup, economic and military, China is undergoing as part of its plan. This is all part of a plan. And unfortunately, we're being sold down the river by the illegitimate government that runs this country as part of that plan. We're going to talk just a tad about inflation. Next week, I'm going to bring you some really eye-opening facts about the similarities of the 70s and now when it comes to inflation and, should we say, uh, economic decline. And then we're going to have, because people love it, People are so happy with this. I'm going to bring you a huge rat-a-tat-tat. And boy, are we going to be covering a lot of subjects up and down the board and stuff you haven't heard. But since I'm your hayseed in Wyoming, let's get started with a little ranch story, which I think is apropos to today's show. We're in the middle of haying out here. The swathers are moving. The grass and the alfalfa is getting laid down in long windrows. Some of them pretty good, and some of them kind of sparse since it's been dry out here. And the sun, particularly as it's setting or as it's rising, casts shadows between these windrows. Birds are swooping around the newly cut hay, which has its own special smell, as those of you who are lucky enough know. And they're looking for grubs and insects which have been displaced by the machines. And tomorrow we'll probably start bailing. And this is a ritual, an annual ritual, not just on these ranches, but on ranches and farms throughout the United States, putting stuff up for winter, for the coming times. I think when I'm done with this show today, you will be of the same opinion. Perhaps not hay in your case, but certainly other things necessary to survival. Because underneath this idyllic scene, with the mountains in the background and the sun playing across the field, lies the reality. And the reality is... Winter is coming. No matter what it looks like outside, how idyllic, how beautiful, how serene, underneath there's a bubbling cauldron that cannot be escaped. That is fact. That is reality. Let's start off with a quote from the founders. And the quote I chose today, once again from Thomas Paine, the mentor of the founders, from his pamphlet, Common Sense, which I talked about in the history of the signing of the Declaration of Independence last week. Listen to it if you haven't on the rightsideradio.com. And for those of you who have been with me for a long time, and there's many of you all around the world, 
You've probably heard this one before, but I think it's particularly apropos for today's show. Those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. Let's start off here with a history of Sino-Russia relations. Russia and China. So, you know, most of the Western commentary, you know, the, the talking heads, oh, the Russia and China agreements, you know, there's lots of skepticism. They're never going to get along. This is just all nonsense and show and facade. Well, I beg to differ. The progressives, in their zeal to bring down America in whatever way they can, you know, Obama's statement, so that we're just another seat at the table of nations, along with their unbending ideology, have driven Russia because of political expediency, Trump, etc., etc., into the arms of China. And actually, the relationship between China and Russia goes back a long ways. These people are not students of history. Official contacts between Russia and China began with their border clashes in the 1680s. Their border is the longest in the world. They were settled in 1689 by the Treaty of Nershinsk, which delineated that common border. At that time, Beijing had no political or diplomatic links with any other European state other than the Vatican. And the, the representation of the Vatican was by the Jesuit mission in Beijing. The Treaty of Nershinsk was the first formal treaty between China and any European power. It was eventually succeeded by the Treaty of Kayakta, 1727. That treaty provided for a further delineation of the common border, and it authorized a small, but the beginnings of a border trade, and it allowed for the establishment of what was in effect a Russian diplomatic presence in Beijing for the very first time and the very first European power, excluding, of course, the Vatican. That was over a century, a century, before any other European powers had any diplomatic ties or presence in China. The rest of the 18th century and the first half of the 19th century, relations between Russia and China were friendly, though not very close. St. Petersburg, Russia's capital at the time, was the only European capital during this entire period to host occasional visits by the Chinese emperor's representatives. As a result of the contacts that Russia had made with China over a century, when the Anglos and the French wanted to kind of open the doors with China, beginning in about 1860, it was the Russians who negotiated the agreement and acted as the go-between between the various countries. The generally friendly relations, however, ended for a brief period of time with a crisis in 1857 to 1860. China was preoccupied with the Taiping Rebellion and their difficult relations with the Western Europeans. There was an Anglo-French expedition in 1860 to secure the annexation of what was called the Amur, A-M-U-R region. And that ended in a treaty which the Chinese to this day believe that is unfair. And during this time period, because of the actions of the other Europeans, the Chinese saw Russia as a much less dangerous aggressor than the other Western powers, particularly Britain and France. China's enmity with the West started long, long ago, and it was exacerbated by certain things like the Boxer Rebellion in 1900. You ever see The Sand Pebbles, Steve McQueen? Yeah. Good movie, by the way, if you haven't. During the 19th century, Russia and China relations improved, and it resulted in what's called the Three Power Intervention, 
that forced Japan, a long-standing enemy. You think about Abe's assassination here for a minute, folks. There are no coincidences. To moderate its demands on China, following China's defeat in the original Sino-Japanese War of 1895, Russia, taking kind of advantage of, should we say, that altercation between Japan and China, forced the Chinese to grant Russia a lease of the Chinese naval base at Port Arthur. China has resented that to this day. But Russia, to make amends, was drawn into the suppression of the 1900 Boxer Rebellion, in which America was involved. And Russia actually occupied a portion of Manchuria during that time period to suppress the Boxers there on behalf of the Chinese. And then there was a war between Russia and Japan. 1904 and 1905, it was fought entirely on Chinese territory, which the Chinese were not particularly happy about. But it ended kind of in a stalemate. In October 1917, the new Bolshevik government, you know, I gave you that history too. It's back in the archives on the right side radio.com. The new Bolshevik government in Russia became the strongest supporter of the Chinese Nationalist Republican movement and what was called the Guomindang government in Nanjing. And by the way, it was the first to recognize the People's Republic of China when Mao Zedong ascended to power. And this began a period of really close cooperation in the 1950s. Genuine friendship between the governments and very strong ties, military, economic, and political. Following the defeat of Japan in 1945, World War II, it began to be recognized that Russia's military support was crucial, in fact, to the rise of the Chinese Communist Party and their victory in the civil war against the Shanghai Shek forces, and actually led to the establishment in 1949 of the People's Republic. The relationship kind of fell apart for a while. Khrushchev and Mao Zedong did not get along personally, and the Chinese were really not happy with Russia's failure to support their war to recover Taiwan. Oh, here's Taiwan again. Goes back a long ways, folks. And China was not happy about having to accept as the world's most populous country with what they view as a manifest destiny and the oldest civilization, to accept a subordinate position to Russia in the international communist movement. Khrushchev withdrew technical support and diplomats from China in around 1960. And it is interesting to note that during this period of distrust between Russia and China, both of them turned to the United States to be their friend. How quickly we forget. Then followed a decade and a half of very strained relations. The one attempt to kind of reconcile this was undermined by the Soviet Defense Minister Marshal Malinovsky, Malinovsky, who encouraged members of the Chinese leadership to overthrow Mao Zedong through a coup kind of similar to the one that had overthrown Khrushchev. Relations with Russia during this period became hostage to Chinese internal politics because Mao and his supporters were uh, in the throes of that political terror known as the Cultural Revolution. By the way, routinely accusing their opponents of being Soviet agents. There was a series of pretty important, pretty major border clashes in 1969, which actually panicked the leaders of both countries, given the long border and the previous history of friendly relations. And they 
began to reconcile. Mao Zedong died in 1976, and after that, the reconciliation gathered momentum. Yeltsin of Russia, although he was strongly pro-West, he remained a firm advocate of good relations with China, and he worked to build a breakthrough which was achieved in the 1980s. In fact, by 1997, the Chinese government was speaking of Russia as China's, quote, key strategic ally, end quote. In 1998, the two countries acted for the first time openly, in concert, in the Security Council of the United Nations, oh yes, our friends, to oppose the U.S. bombing of Iraq, Operation Desert Fox. And both countries also rose up and opposed the U.S.-led tax on Yugoslavia in 1999 and then on Iraq in 2003. And since then, their cooperation in political, economic, and security matters has greatly intensified. So that ends this brief description of the fascinating history between Russia and China that affect us, oh, so much today. But now, let me tell you the rest of the story how this all affects America. What is really going on out there? I'm going to give you some dots. I think that you can connect them. And I believe that the realization will be shocking. Remember, I keep telling you, think outside the box. Drop your normalcy bias. These are not normal times, domestically or internationally, or in terms of the New World Order Great Reset stuff we have reviewed. I brought you that history, what, three, four weeks ago? Listen to it if you haven't on the rightsideradio.com. Okay, so let's talk about economic. China has a stated goal of being the preeminent power on the planet Earth, basically controlling the planet. And that could be through the New World Order as the enforcer of the edicts of the elite, or it could be in some other way. But their stated goal is absolute, and they are willing to do anything to accomplish it. I have brought you the speeches of the three Chinese defense ministers, 1989, 2004, and 2019. Go back to February 22nd, 2020 show, and listen. I read the entire speech. It is chilling what they're willing to do. Let me give you one line. If one or 200 million Americans must die, then better than that many Chinese die. Does that kind of give you an idea? By the way, they were going to start the attack on the United States with a biological attack. Oh, gee, hmm, COVID, okay, Wuhan. And when we come back, I'm going to finish up the rest of the story and how it affects America and you, your life, your family, your finances, and your freedoms. And then we're going to get into inflation and then rat-a-tat-tat. Welcome back, folks. Let's finish up the rest of the story. China, Russia, on, oh yes, unfortunately, now the United States. Not a pretty triangle. In terms of global growth, these are the years 2017 through 2019. It's changed a little bit. In fact, it's actually gone weighted to China's favor, despite or because of COVID. China's real GDP growth in those two years was 35.2%. The United States was 17.9%. India, 86 all the other countries, 13.7. The Europeans, the Eurozone, 7.9%. China is the largest urbanization and infrastructure developer on the planet. $900 billion investment in the One Belt and One Road, OBOR, project. New roads, shipping lanes, building projects, stretching over 65 countries. China is, as you know, actively open 
in its espionage against the West. It ranges from agriculture to high-tech to military to manufacturing and technological. The CCP has openly declared its intent to dominate all high-tech industries across the world by 2025. That's, that's two and a half years from now, folks. The U.S. Commission on the Theft of American Intellectual Property estimates $600 billion cost to the U.S. economy each year, never mind the jobs lost, etc. And in the face of all this, President Cadaver and his lovely son Hunter and the rest of the corrupt cabal have been playing footsie with China to the tunes of tens of millions of dollars of graft and corruption. The Chinese are no fools. I urge you to go to the website, ontherightsideradio.com, and listen to what I think is the best synopsis of the tip of the iceberg of the corruption, which is really treason, that is undermining the United States and the West and empowering China and Russia, this is the rest of the story, by President Cadaver and his clan. Uh, Tucker Carlson did a phenomenal job. The entire video is right under the audio bar on the website on therightsideradio.com. Please listen to it. It'll give you (laughs) an unfortunate and bitter and foul taste of what is happening in selling this country deliberately down the road and getting paid for it. By the way, did you know that despite all this intellectual theft, Biden terminated the entire task force that was investigating all the Chinese theft of intellectual property in the West and the United States? Why would he do that? Let's think about this for just a moment. In terms of military might, China is spending more per capita and GDP than any other country on the planet, including the United States, and we spend a lot. And when I say spending, I don't mean total dollars, because a lot of our dollars are grafted corruption. I'm talking about in production of military hardware. Sea, land, air, space. They're talking about going to the moon here in the next year. In terms of nuclear weapons, Russia, of course, has the most. Russia has 1,588 deployed warheads, 2,889 stored warheads for 5,977 nuclear warheads. That was in 2022. The United States, 1,744 deployed. Stored warheads, 1,964. A total of 54 28 warheads. But know that the United States only has 400 warheads ready to go at any time. And only four to five of our nuclear submarine fleet, which by the way carries much lighter warheads that can't destroy hard targets, is at sea at any given time. China, as of 2021, had 350 stored warheads. However, Deployed warheads have increased dramatically just over, over the last year and a half, and they are on a par if they continue building their nuclear arsenal to be in the same relative neighborhood as the United States and Russia within three to four years. Other countries, of course, have smaller amounts. India, 160. Pakistan, 165. Israel, 90. North Korea, 20. And Iran will soon have some, too. Thank you once again to President Cadaver. And who is Iran an ally of? Oh, that's right, Russia and China. Uh-huh, you bet. Now let me give you some more dots on this rest of the story. Russia is testing the West with its invasion of Ukraine. Oh, yes, you know, Putin has other ambitions, etc. But this is really a test of Western resolve. And Russia and China are in lockstep on this in terms of energy, etc., Remember, wars are not just military, they're economic. I brought you last week the story of Russia announcing a new world currency with the BRICS country. 
that is Brazil, Russia, China, India, and South Africa, based on commodities. In other words, a asset-based currency that will compete with the U.S. dollar, which is based on nothing but thin air, printing presses, and debt. Both Russia and China are ahead of the United States because we've been asleep at the switch, you know, teaching critical race theory at West Point, on hypersonic. Both of them have hypersonic nuclear weapons delivery systems that we do not have, and we have no defense against them. Even our standard defenses against a fixed trajectory system, which has been the norm up to the last several years, is only 50% effective. Russia has a nuclear might right now. China quickly catching up. China has the manpower. It has enough manpower, more than 10 million standing in its army and 200 million in reserve, to occupy any country. By the way, when I say any country, that means North America, the United States, and Canada. You've heard about EMPs, right? I mean, basically, they knock out the grid. What they do is they decapitate the American military, too, which is all grid and technologically related. Did you know that there is a Defense Directive 66? The standards of the United States nuclear retaliation was to launch on warning. In other words, the warning of a nuclear incoming strike would precipitate the launch of retaliatory nukes by the United States. DD-66 changes that. And in fact, there's been talk by Cadaver's national security team about this just over the last several weeks. We no longer launch on warning. Instead, we absorb a first strike. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Now, if you were China, who has absolutely proclaimed they need the space around the planet, and particularly America and Canada, for agriculture and resources for the good of the overcrowded Chinese nation, Think about an EMP attack coordinated between Russia and China that decapitates the American military. Think about DD-66. There's no retaliatory strike. There's no launch upon warning. Think about the fact that the two countries combined can and would drop, you know, two to four nukes on every single American site just to make sure they had a kill and leaving the cities hostage. Just give this scenario some thought. Think about the administration that we currently have in power and their propensity, shall we say, to uh, take the Chinese side over the American side, certainly the globalist side over the sovereign side. So with China's manpower, Russia's nuclear might, to which China is quickly ascending, and the Russian reality and the Chinese reality of the longest border in the world, Russia basically protects China from Europe. China protects Russia from Asia. Now, there's no doubt that Putin, or whoever's in charge in Russia at the time, are not fools. Their history is beset by invasions by allies. <laughs> Look at Germany in, in World War II. And they have to be a little nervous about an ascending Chinese military with nuclear capabilities and a 10 million man standing army with 200 million in reserve. I mean, Russia's population is only about 120, 125 million people. And their military, as you can see in Ukraine, is not all it's cracked up to be. And then, of course, throw in Iran as a factor, which keeps America engaged on the Iranian side over there between Iran and Israel in the Middle East. Think about a false flag event where, let's say, North Korea, a puppet state of China, right? Something you're not really watching. Launches an attack on South Korea, where we have like 47,000 American troops. Unlike Taiwan, unlike Israel, which 
in my opinion, we would throw to the wolves under the current or similar administrations. The United States would have absolutely no recourse but to retaliate against North Korea. And with 47,000 American troops and about 50,000 South Korean troops against a one million man North Korean army, the use of tactical nuclear weapons would probably be, well, it'd be about the only recourse. Which of course would do what? Oh, that would give China and Russia an excuse. You use them first. Why do you think China is so hell-bent on the United Nations Small Arms Treaty? Why do you think China and Russia together spend money through dark money funnels? <laughs> Although in the case of Biden, transparent money funnels, to fund NGOs and others who are pushing for the elimination of weapons in the United States. The fact is, is that America, if it's taken out in any type of scenario like this, the West collapses. Because the American military force, the American nuclear umbrella, protects the entire Western world. Oh yeah, France has some nukes, and Britain has some nukes, and a couple of other countries have some nukes. But I mean, they are paltry. It is the American nuclear umbrella. If you remove that threat, you pretty much control the West, particularly if you hold the cities hostage. So the rest of the story, ladies and gentlemen, is that the alliance between Russia and China, and as a third tier, Iran, Venezuela, and others, is not an accident. It is part of a plan. The potential implementation of that plan could be along the lines that I've shared with you today. And it could be in the relatively near future, particularly with the American military stuck in critical race theory, behind on hypersonic weapons, in the midst of updating its nuclear arsenal with a target date of 2030, and a spineless, corrupt, and treasonous administration in place. I mean, I know you don't like to hear this stuff, and I don't like to tell you this stuff, and I'm not beating the drums to get you scared. I'm sharing information with you. What I've shared with you here on the rest of the story today are facts. You can take these dots and connect them any way you want, but I will tell you the PPPPP rule. Prior planning prevents poor performance. That means the location of your getaway. That means for you folks in the cities, which will be, you know, a mess, if anything remotely similar like this develops. Making plans to exit in advance. Having a place to go and being prepared with what you need to survive. This is all about planning. This is all about insurance. You know, insurance is one of those things you buy and you hope you never use. While planning for your and your family's survival is one of those pieces of insurance you should invest in and hope you never have to use. Let's talk about inflation a little bit. Not that that is a uplifting subject either. I'm going to have a big segment on this next week because what's happening right now is kind of a picture. It's a snapshot and it resembles the pictures and snapshots of the 1970s and early 1980s. And I think you need to understand the parallels between the 70s. You know, put on your bell bottoms. You know, I mean, uh, back into time we will go next week. Because when I draw these similarities, you will understand that, unfortunately, what we are in, and the, the figures just came out. I mean, it went up again last month. And they aren't the real figures. Shadowstatistics.com. Check that site out. That'll give you the real inflation numbers, which are now around 18%. 
They are not the 9 plus or minus percent that the government is chirping. So next week we will look at the similarities between the 70s and now. And I will tell you how long the 70s lasted, what the result was, what the effect was during the period of stagflation, which was declining economics, increasing inflation, increasing interest rates, and what we have going now, which is the same. But the parallels are unmistakable. The similarities, undeniable. And you need to know. That's coming at you next week. So yes, ugly inflation. And it's going to get worse, folks. Now, let's do a huge rat-a-tat-tat. Remember, all the rat-a-tat-tat articles are posted on the website on the rightsideradio.com under rat-a-tat-tat. And we have a new kind of news category, which is America 2022, where all the things that I'd like to have in Rat-a-tat-tat, but don't have the time to do, are there for you to read too. Much of them, why don't we say, uh, put some padding on your chin for when it hits the top of your table as you read. Are you ready for a big Rat-a-tat-tat? Man, we have a lot of stuff to cover. I'm not even sure I'm going to get to them all, but we'll do our best. So the Prime Minister of England was forced to resign. A nationalist, although he kind of had a woke period in there. And, by the way, a huge supporter of Ukraine in its war against Russia. And then we have Abe, Prime Minister Abe, in Japan. Another big Trump ally. A nationalist, firmly opposed to Chinese expansion. Building up Japan's military. He gets assassinated. This all happened in the same week, a week ago, folks. You think there's coincidences here? And when we come back, more rat-a-tat-tat to make your jaw drop, your brows furl, and your eyes roll. I'd love to be able to track all the influence, be it through covert mind control or overt influence by the Red Chinese in all these types of actions, in all these types of very unfortunate circumstances. And did you know that President Cadaver's massive social safety net package, in other words, using your money to buy votes, the Build Back Better nonsense, it sputtered out in December, but it's back. It's back. Yeah, they're calling it the Build Back Mansion plan since he's the key vote. And it would include about $1 trillion in new spending. Oh, that's going to be great for inflation, isn't it? That's about half the size of what was stalled last year. It would supposedly focus on health care and energy. Oh, yes, domestic energy development. Yeah, that's going to happen. You bet. It would require a range of tax increases. Imagine that. Which they say would mostly hit business owners and corporations, which, of course, will raise their prices, increasing inflation <laughs> to compensate. Now, according to Manchin, any deal that he goes for is going to have to address inflation, Healthcare costs and domestic energy production. But he does say that paying for it would be to ensure everyone is paying their fair share of taxes. Next, rat a tat tat. Did you know that last month, 14.9% of home purchase agreements were canceled after they were executed? That's a report by Redfin, by the way. This is the highest rate of cancellations. Since COVID began, and one of the highest rates, it's 60,000 contracts around the United States that we know of that were canceled by sell agreements. How do you think the real estate market's doing, folks? How do you think it's going to do? And then, of course, we have our friend Google, not so much. Did you know that mighty Google is getting hacked? They revealed their 11th, quote, zero-day, unquote, exploit 
In other words, somebody got into their system. Of the year was found. A zero-day classification, so you know, means hackers have been able to exploit a flaw in Google's whatever before Google can release a fix, which makes it significantly more dangerous to Google users than most security flaws. By the way, Google is, gee, big surprise, keeping the details surrounding all these things closely guarded secrets, you know, because they don't want to help the hackers. <laughs> They're not very interested in helping you either. There is a video posted under the audio bar on the website on the rightsideradio.com. It's a documentary on how the January 6th political prisoners are being treated. You should watch it, and you will understand just how totalitarian and anti-Constitution the ruling powers are in these United States today. This one will get you. So, the Chinese bought 200 acres in North Dakota near an Air Force base, and supposedly they're doing crop stuff and a commune and all this. But the local residents are not too happy. The military, of course, is busy on critical race theory, so they've said nothing. And one of the gals up there, you know, uh, one of the citizens, posted in social media her lack of happiness with this Chinese purchase and its location. And she included a section of the Declaration of Independence. We have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. When a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute depotism, oppressive absolute power. It is our right, it is our duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for our future security. That posting of that section of the Declaration of Independence earned her a visit by the local police and the FBI. Kind of ties right in with the J6 documentary I urge you to watch on the website. Unfortunately, Dettelbach was approved as the new ATF director. This guy is a rabid anti-gunner, and he's smooth. He's kind of like Mayorkas. Mayorkas, who says, uh, we're following all the laws while he lets two million illegal aliens cross the border every year. This guy is anti-gun, anti-gun owner, pro-big government, and pro-control. By the way, he got confirmed with the help of two rhino Republicans, Collins of Maine and Porter of Ohio. Shame, shame, shame on them. And let me tell you, Dettelbach is undoubtedly going to take advantage of this recent legislation that requires more gun sellers to register as FFL dealers, that expands background checks, that keeps records, and red flag laws, etc. This is a really, really bad thing for the Second Amendment. So in 2020, Donald Trump ended some federal regulations under what's called the National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA. That required federal governments to consider environmental impacts on decision-making. Trump thought all this stymied jobs, manufacturing, infrastructure, and he, of course he was right. Obama used it to his delight to slow down energy production and cripple the United States economy in any way he could and to appeal to his large donors. So the Trump administration knocked out three provisions in NEPA. And those three provisions have just been reinstated by the Biden administration. Restores the requirements that all federal agencies must evaluate all relevant environmental impacts, including pollution. 
Number two, restores full authority to agencies to coordinate with communities to create alternative approaches to minimize environmental and public health costs based on various factors. Oh, that's nice and subjective. Number three, establish that NEPA is the floor instead of the ceiling. In other words, federal agencies can add regulations ad nausea as they see fit. I told you a little bit about GFI and a past rat-a-tat-tat. GFI is this shadowy, secret, Soros and globalist funded outfit that is helping federal agencies reverse Trump deregulations, education, environmental, health care, housing, labor rules. They were outed by the Capital Research Center, who did a great job, I might add. Fox News has reported that GFI advertised on the Harvard Law School's website for job openings for, quote, legal policy internships, unquote. By the way, the ads said they were looking for people to help prepare the Biden administration for transformative governance. Gee, I think you've heard those words from both Obama and Biden, haven't you? If you go to GFI's website, by the way, it will detail numerous legal strategies that it has implemented or plans to implement to shape Biden's executive orders. Oh, terrific. Along those lines, on June 9th, Gina McCarthy, oh yes, the climate czar for President Cadaver. She had an interview with Axios, and McCarthy launched into a rant about disinformation and big tech. Let me give you the quote. You'll get the message. Climate change is a planetary problem. We need big tech companies to jump in and stop allowing people to use their platforms to spread climate misinformation. The lack of online censorship threatens public health by thwarting efforts to embrace renewable energy technologies. How's that green stuff working out for you guys? Pretty good? Did you know that the United States dropped $146 billion on Afghanistan reconstruction in the last two decades? This is not the war now. That's trillions. But reconstruction. But the Biden administration is blocking federal auditors from conducting their congressionally mandated job of investigating where the money is going. Yeah. The Special Investigator for Afghanistan Reconstruction, SIGAR, S-I-G-A-R, they've been trying to investigate the abrupt collapse of the U.S.-backed government in Afghanistan, like, you know, where did the money go? However, the State Department and its offshoot, corrupt as all get out, the United States Agency for International Development, or USAID, refuses to cooperate even though required to cooperate by law. The head of SIGAR, by the way, a guy by the name of Sapko, writes, quote, Congress and American taxpayers deserve to know why the Afghan government collapsed after all that assistance, where the money went, and how taxpayer money is now being spent in Afghanistan. To the benefit, folks, kind of tying right into the historical story and the rest of the story, to the benefit of China, who now controls Afghanistan, has $83 billion of American hardware, and a trillion dollars worth of minerals in that country, all of which are necessary to our technology here in the United States. Hmm. Gee, you think that was an accident? And then, of course, there was a June 30th deadline, speaking of military decline and military ascension between Russia, the United States, and China. There was a June 30th deadline for compliance with the U.S. military's COVID vaccine mandate. And you've heard all sorts of stories about guys who are career guys, true Americans getting booted out of the service. There's now a huge lawsuit by the Marines against this COVID mandate. 
I do not have an update for you on where the DOD, you know, uh, Secretary Austin's Secretary of Dents is on all this stuff, but I will be updating you in future shows. You probably know that the Ovalde, Texas Police Department was on the scene before that shooter got into that elementary school. A sniper had him in his sights and was told not to shoot because a stray bullet might injure a child. Oh, okay. There's lots more to come out on this, folks. There is too many coincidences here for this not to have been, in some way, shape, and form, staged, planned, coordinated. Don't you think it's an upside-down world, although maybe a realistic world, when an arrest by the FBI sends a candidate for governor to the top of the latest popularity poll? I mean, i got to laugh. That's exactly, by the way, what's happened in Michigan. Yeah, gubernatorial GOP candidate Ryan Kelly He was hooked up on misdemeanor charges by the feds on June 9th for his alleged participation in the January 6th stuff at the Capitol. By the way, just before the Democratic sham committee made its first kind of primetime show, you know, their debut, Kelly's house was raided by FBI agents. Oh, well, another coincidence. And he was charged with, you know, all the stuff they've charged all those poor guys with. Within the week... Of his arrest, he catapulted to the tops of the Michigan polls in the GOP's bid to oust that witch, Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Did you know that the NEA, right, the largest teachers organization in the United States, 3 million members, has compiled a 140,000 person list. It's comprised of parents who are protesting at school boards. They actually sued They actually sued one parent for $300 million. You know, the suit is not going to go anywhere. It's going to be dismissed. It was a warning shot to tell parents to stand down over the education of their own children. This is your education system at work when the largest teachers organization in the United States is run by avowed and admitted communists. Fortunately, lots of states and lots of parents and some school boards are waking up. The Nebraska Association of School Boards, NASB, has left that association. That's the 25th state to exit that association just over the last year. The other 24 states are Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Illinois, Kentucky, Louisiana, Minnesota, Missouri, Mississippi, Montana, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. Hey, Get on your state boys. Get on your state education department. Get the hell out of that outfit. The NASB, by the way, was the one who originally drafted, in covert collusion with the Biden White House, that whole letter that said parents at school boards were domestic terrorists and would be investigated by the FBI. So that's the outfit I'm talking about. Time for two quick rat-a-tat-tats before I bid you adieu. First, have you ever heard of CERN, S-C-E-R-N? Well, they run an experimental collider in Switzerland, 13.6 trillion electrovolts, and its purpose is to find a doorway outside our universe. That's great. Who knows what's on the other side of that door, and what does this do for climate change? Wow. And then Zuckerbucks, you know, the 350 million that... Zuckerberg dumped into sleepy nonprofit center for technology and civic life to sway, and it did, the election. 
20 states have now outlawed that type of election fraud and nonsense. Good for them. And it's time to say goodbye. Repeat after me. Repeat in the mirror. Repeat with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do. And we will win. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. We'll talk at you next week. Keep the wind at your back. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side.